WCNC Charlotte. This is Flashpoint, where power and politics collide and the tough questions get asked and answered. Thanks for joining us here on Flashpoint. I'm Ben Thompson. This week, we are speaking to two of the most influential people in North Carolina party politics, including the brand new chair of the state Democratic Party, Anderson Clayton, defying expectations in becoming the party's top leader at just the age of 25. Her plan to win over more rural voters back to the Democratic Party. Then a little bit later, we'll speak with North Carolina's Republican chair as his party works to win the governor's mansion in 2024. But first, joining us now, the brand new chair of the North Carolina Democratic Party, Anderson Clayton. Anderson, thanks for coming on Flashpoint. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. All right, so I usually don't lead with somebody's age, but I mean, I do feel like that's sort of like, you know, the, the, the big headline here. You are 25, uh, full disclosure there. Um, but you really defied party establishment who, who wanted somebody else, um, who publicly supported somebody else. What do you think your election to, to this big position, what do you think it says about the current state of, of politics in general, but also uh, about the, more specifically, the Democratic Party in North Carolina. I think it says that our party is ready for change. I think that we are ready to have a generational shift, honestly, and, and you know who's in charge of our party right now and who's speaking up for the issues that are really important to North Carolinians. And I, I think that it's just an opportunity. I've been really welcomed in by Governor Cooper and Attorney General Stein and you know all of my members of Congress who supported my my opponent in this. But I, because we know that we've got to come together as Democrats, honestly, at the end of the day, we need to make sure that you know our our disagreements are not within our party, but they are with people who don't have the same visions and dreams for our communities that that we do and I think that that's the really exciting part about this is that there's you know a new opportunity for new leadership and new voices to actually be heard from from the democratic perspective we have we're not a monolithic party and I feel like I need to say that to a lot of folks we are a big tent party and we have a lot of different viewpoints and and ideas about how the way that this party should go forward and everyone should have the opportunity to be able to really, I think, uh, express those opinions and be able to run on them if they want to, too. So I think it's really opening up a, a new way forward for our party in order to be able to embrace people from every walk of life. What do you think Democrats were doing wrong uh, last year uh, to explain what was pretty good news nation nationwide, but not such great news here in North Carolina? Yeah, I think that one of the things that we just didn't do really is actually talk to rural North Carolina about the money that's coming down right now from the federal government when it comes to the bipartisan infrastructure bill and the American Rescue Plan. Um, you know, I think that what I've always seen in rural communities is that folks just do not believe that government is actually working for them. And, and I think that the party and, and both parties, honestly, not just the Democratic Party, but the Republican Party, too, has the ability and the right to show people that government does work for you. And here's how it's doing that right now. You know, the affordable connectivity program is thirty dollars off of a, off your off a month of somebody's Internet bill. Um, and that got passed for if you're 200 percent below the poverty line. Right now, we should be educating people and talking to them about the policies that are that are happening at the federal level that are trying to make people's lives easier at the end of the day because right now in rural North Carolina it's it's hard to just live in, in an everyday circumstance you're worried about you know how do you put a roof over your head can I pay my rent that month am I going to be able to put food on the table and I think that you know we we talk about these issues in politics to me as if they're um 
you know, as if they're buzzwords to some degree, but I'm like, that's not like it's, it's people's reality. And we need to be talking, I think, in a way that actually shows people and at a granular level, you know, what does politics actually do for you? What should government be doing for you? Um, and holding people accountable at that local level, too. I tell people all the time that, you know, part of the responsibility as Democrats is to hold our own accountable as well. And we need to make sure that we are always, I think, trying to be representative voices of the districts and the people that we're representing, because at the end of the day, politics is about people. It's not about partisanship. So, do you think? I think the conventional wisdom is the core of the Democratic Party is urban centers uh, like Charlotte, deep blue. Um, but but you're making a valid point there about rural voters as well that have typically, at least in recent years, been sort of the backbone of the Republican Party. Do you think you can speak to both groups at the same time about the same issues? I think you can because I think that you know, for me. I, I tell people all the time, we can walk and chew gum at the same time. And and I know that because of being in Person County, I know that, you know, the, the, the values that I hold here as a rural person in a rural community are the same things and the same issues that people in my urban communities are also fighting for. Affordable housing is something that we're dealing in rural North Carolina with right now, too, just as much as you're dealing with it in an urban center. You know, the ability to actually have clean water and, and good access to health care right now. It's not just impacting our cities, but it's also impacting our rural communities. You know, without Medicaid expansion, across our state right now, rural hospitals are closing. You cannot find good prenatal care, especially in Eastern North Carolina right now. And I think that we've got to bring and we've got to put forth these issues in front of folks as, you know, Democrats are coming forward united on, on certain things. Like we want to expand Medicaid. We want to make sure municipal broadband is allowed to happen in North Carolina and that folks can operate their own infrastructure if they want to. We want to make sure that cities are able to, to do what they, they need to for their communities rather than being restricted by our state government like they are right now. Um, I think that localities don't actually have the ability to do what they need to do in order to um, help their communities survive every day. And so we've got a big role to play in, in making sure that people understand that and are, are fighting for that, honestly. Do you think Republicans have done a better job appealing to rural voters on, on things that they care about, um, whether it's culture war, war issues or, or, as they say, wokeism or some of these things that really... Um, can, can get a reaction out of people and, and people really start to care about that. A lot of folks would say the Democratic Party is completely ignored or at least did not get a good footing on. Yeah, I mean, I think that the Democratic Party has a good has a good long way to go on messaging. And I tell people about this position that I'm in right now. You know, this is not a two-year, my term is two years, but it's not a two-year thing that we're talking about. You know, we're talking about a, a rebuild of our party in some capacities, because I think that right now the Democratic Party has got to rebuild trust. And especially in rural North Carolina, like I, I tell folks, you know, people are afraid to call themselves Democrats sometimes out here. And I want to make I want to make sure that every Democrat feels proud to call themselves that, that they can understand that this party is fighting for them because we fight for working people and and that's where that's where we need to go in the future and for me i want to be the messenger that gives people the the ability to say that we care about rural North Carolina and we see the future of it, we have a vision for it, we understand that there's economic opportunity there that has been honestly not um, not looked at as it should have been in the past, I think. And, you know, as we've always looked at rural communities as a problem versus an opportunity. And I'm like, 
I want to live in rural North Carolina for the rest of my life. And people tell me I'm crazy when I'm 25 and I want to be able to say that, but I do. And I think that we should always be looking at communities as though what's their future, not how do we um, you know, help them into a, a slow decline to some degree. So I think that Republicans have done a good job. I don't think that the Republicans have necessarily had any competition though. And that's what I want to really provide to them uh, in this capacity is, is making sure they've got competition in areas where they, I don't feel like they've had to compete for, for much of anything in the last um, decade, to be honest with you. Do you think President Biden should run for re-election? I think that I'm excited to see who runs for re-election in 2024, but I'm also really focused on North Carolina. I think that, you know, for me, people ask me about the presidential level of things. And while I used to work on presidential campaigns, uh, the reason that I left national politics is because I fully believe that all politics is local. Uh, and that's where your fully um, belief and backing should be right now. So I think that President Biden should run for re-election in 2024. I'm excited to, to see the continuation of the of what Democrats have been able to do at the federal level, because rural North Carolina right now is benefiting from it. Our communities are benefiting from it. And we need to make sure that folks like that are still in office, I think. But I also really want to make sure that people understand the priorities and we should be focused on what's going on in your own backyard right now. Uh, my problem with the Democratic Party, and I've said it before, but you know, people can tell me everything about George Santos, what he ate for breakfast this morning, what counties he represents, and what he did or not did or did not do in high school. Um, but they can't tell me who the five people on their board of county commissioners are. And, and and that's what I really want people to look at right now because those are the folks that are making decisions that are impacting your everyday life. Sounds like you've got your work cut out for you. Um, again, congrats on, on the new position. And uh, best of luck as well. Um, Anderson, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for the time. I really appreciate it too. And all thank right. you for all that you do. All right, take care. More Flashpoint after this. Welcome back to Flashpoint. North Carolina Republicans already gearing up for the 2024 election. The party looking to hold on to some gains made during this past cycle. State Republicans now just one vote short of a supermajority in the North Carolina House. Joining us now, North Carolina GOP Chair Michael Watley. Mike, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Yeah, no, it's good to be with you guys. Where do you see your party when it comes to uh, North Carolina voters right now and needing for change or something different? Well, look, I think the biggest thing that uh, the North Carolina Republican Party has been working on over the last couple of election cycles is making sure that we are listening to the voters of North Carolina and we are talking to them about the issues that they really care about. And I think that's one of the biggest reasons that we've seen the electoral wins that we've gotten. You know, when we have, uh, you know, 71 seats in the House, one short of a supermajority. We've got a supermajority in the Senate. Uh, we flipped the Supreme Court from 6-1 Democrat to 5-2 Republican. We've won our Senate seats. You know, there's a reason. It's because our candidates are talking to the voters about the issues that they really care about and that we are offering solutions to the problems uh, that we have here in North Carolina. And uh, that really resonates, and that's why we're winning. Yeah, your candidates overperformed, at least in comparison to the national candidates uh, this past election. Uh, why do you think it is? What, what's happening here within your party, within the state, uh, he, that, say, national Republicans didn't quite seize the same success? Sure. Look, I think it starts with candidates and campaigns. And we have, a, you know, a really solid group of candidates over the course of the last a, a couple of election cycles that have run really good, solid campaigns that have connected with the voters of North Carolina. But then we also have closed the voter registration gap with the Democrats by half uh, over the course of the last four years. And we've also gotten our voters out. You know, we had in this last election cycle over 8,000 volunteers that were out there making phone calls and knocking on doors. And, you know, my favorite statistic in all of politics 
if you have a five-minute conversation with an undecided voter, uh, they're going to be 6% more likely to vote for you and your candidate. And we've just had a lot of those five-minute conversations. So, uh, you know, it, it really comes down to candidates, campaigns, and mechanics. But we've been able to hit that trifecta and do a really good job. You, you mentioned the, the state of affairs in the General Assembly and the advantage Republicans currently have. Um, do, you, do you think that they'll be able to work across the aisle, at least with one or two Democrats on some of these issues, and, and override a governor's veto? I do, you know, and, and, and certainly uh, going to defer to the uh, legislative leaders uh, up in Raleigh to be able to work uh, whatever deals that they can work with it. But look, at the end of the day, the, the legislation and the policies that the Republican Party is moving is where the North Carolina voters want to be. And so if Democrat legislators decide that they would rather uh, hunker down and protect the governor and uh, circle around him to protect his vetoes than vote for the policies that uh, North Carolina voters are asking for, uh, they're going to pay for it in the elections. Um, the the uh, Democratic, uh, Democratic chair, Anderson Clayton, said um, that, that she feels like her party has sort of missed some of that and, and they've gotten caught off foot um, here in the state of North Carolina and that they needed to emphasize some of the same issues um, that they feel like voters really care about. Um, are you worried that maybe a newly energized Democratic Party might be giving you some competition here as far as taking it to the people about issues that people really care about? Well, look, I, I think that uh, she, she hit on a right tone, which is that you cannot ignore a large swath of voters across North Carolina. Uh, you know, the Republicans generally tend to have a rural advantage. Democrats generally tend to have an urban advantage. But, you know, we as Republicans, we need to be talking to urban voters, suburban voters and rural voters. We need to talk to all of the voters. You know, at the at the end of the day, we are 30 percent of the state's registered voters are Republicans. 34 are Democrat, 35% are unaffiliated. We are never going to be able to win without talking to all of the voters across the state and making sure that we're winning solid majorities within the unaffiliated and even getting Democratic crossover votes. So, uh, you know, we're looking at this election cycle and all of the new uh, voters that are moving into North Carolina as a tremendous opportunity, not something that we want to be worried about. Are you are you actively trying to court some of those urban voters who who may not always agree with some of the stances within the Republican Party? We do, you know, and when you think about it, the kitchen table issues that really matter for North Carolina families, you know, about jobs, about the economy, about public safety, you know, about roads, about schools and education, you know, those are issues that resonate in urban areas, suburban areas, rural areas across the board, and you have to be able to talk to all of the voters about those issues. Um, when it comes to the governor's race coming up uh, here in the next year or so, uh, Mark Robinson has indicated that he might want to run for governor. Um, are, are you supporting that candidacy yet, or are you waiting to see who else gets in the field? Well, one of the beautiful things about being state party chair is that I have to be neutral in all of the primaries, uh, which means I get to be uh, supportive of all of the candidates. Look, we have a tremendous bench here in North Carolina. We've got a lot of really good candidates. And I know that when we come out of that primary, uh, we're going to be able to, uh, to support that candidate and go into the general election in really strong shape. I don't know what the field is going to look like going into that primary, but I do know uh, that across the state, we have a tremendous number of Republicans who can compete very well, uh, not just in congressional districts or legislative districts, but statewide. A similar question, but different race. Um, 
It looks like uh, former President Trump's going to have some competition in the GOP primary already with Nikki Haley, possibly Tim Scott as well, uh, Mike Pence. Uh, is there a candidate, knowing that as GOP chair you're not going to endorse anybody, but is there a candidate uh, among those who you feel like would do better here in North Carolina? Look, I will say this, you know, we, we carried North Carolina in, in 2012, 2016, 2020. Uh, I have no doubt that we're going to carry the state in 2024. You know, one of the neat things about being on the RNC uh, and being the North Carolina party chair is that I get a chance to see and work with all of these candidates and our bench is the strongest and deepest it's ever been. All right, Michael Watley, NC GOP chair reporting, uh, joining us this morning from uh, the nation's capital. All right, Michael, thanks for coming on. We wish you the best. Excellent. Thanks, guys. All right, take care. More Flashpoint after this. Welcome back to Flashpoint. A council member demanding action after WCNC Charlotte discovered the city's tourism arm excluded minority and women-owned businesses from a series of paydays worth $750,000. When someone tipped us off about the Charlotte Regional Visitors Authority's longtime business relationship with a local leadership consultant, we took our questions directly to the head of the public authority. Our Nate Morbido is asking, where's the money? Charlotte City Council member Lawana Mayfield says she now wants the city manager to start asking some questions of his own and expects a full report back to council. We're incredibly proud of our MWBE program. Words are one thing. It's really vital to um, our organization and to the way we operate and to our leadership team. Actions are something else. Anything changing internally though because of this? No, as I said before, we believe we've already responded to these questions. WCNC Charlotte discovered the CRVA paid Doug Bacon's company, throwing words $750,000 over a decade for consulting work. Oh, 10 years. Wow. Without ever considering other qualified small businesses. It does make you raise your eyebrows. Not only that, top CRVA executives used their words to give the leadership coach their stamp of approval. They solved the problems with you. First in an online testimonial then during a company podcast. And I really thank you too, Doug. In response to our questions, the public authority only emailed written words defending the hire, touting the leadership coach's credentials and experience, and citing state law, which doesn't require competitive bids for service jobs. Later assuring us it always seeks to expand the supply chain so that it reflects the community's diversity and elevates community prosperity. But the CRVA never detailed any specific actions it would take to ensure this doesn't happen again. And we really value our vendor relationships and they've been trusted relationships for a long time. CEO Tom Murray reaffirmed those talking points when we caught up with him after a recent board meeting. And we believe that we've answered and responded to all of your questions appropriately and so we're we're finished with that that, that conversation aware in advance we intended to interview him i know that you all kind of had a singular focus in this case excluded other small businesses particularly minority and women i think those people are wondering how is that fair so as we said before or i just said before we believe we've responded to all your questions appropriately and so we're we're finished. I'm disappointed. We showed City Council Member Luana Mayfield the 55-second unedited interview. There was not an acknowledgement that yes, we dropped the ball. We need to make some internal changes. 
the city council approves annual CRVA funding. That response to me is a bit tone deaf to the needs of our community. And Mayfield is demanding action. Myself and my colleagues need to let the manager know that we expect a report out from Mr. Murray. We need to do better. We believe we've already responded to these questions. <laughs> wow. Christine Edwards agrees with Mayfield. They are really poised to lead by example. They are poised to set the standard. She once worked for local governments. Now she runs a community engagement firm that often contracts with area agencies. Edwards calls the CRVA's longstanding MWBE program a good start, aimed at offering procurement opportunities to minority and women-owned business enterprises, part of what the CRVA calls a commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion. But I think that there's so much more to do. She says more inclusive policies and better metrics are needed. They're not a guarantee, but they are really a safeguard. No one voiced concerns during the February board meeting we attended, but we've since discovered the CRVA has taken, at minimum, some form of action, quietly updating its website to solicit new MWBE vendor applications. We also reached out to the chairman of the CRVA board, who told us he has full confidence in the operation and management of the CRVA and its leadership. Nate Morabito, WCNC Charlotte. More Flashpoint after this. Welcome back to Flashpoint, folks. Let us know what you think. Come interact with us on social media. If there's something you want to talk about here on Flashpoint, let us know. We're always open to it. And of course, always listen to and subscribe to our podcast. You can find it wherever you get yours. And we'll see you back here next weekend.